Uh, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to finish this up this morning. I think I like to preach on something when, after we've had baptisms, something, some, something to do with discipleship, some area of the Christian life. And it just so happened we've been studying in Galatians 5 for a handful of weeks. And, and uh, it, we'll, we'll finish this little, uh, section up here on the Holy Spirit. And I think this is one of the things, one of the main things that disciples of Christ need to be taught in the beginning of their journey all the way through and reminded of all the way through uh, their uh, journey as disciples. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit within them. Of course, we learn about that in verses 16 through 26. And um, what we talked about last week, if you were not here or if you were, I'll remind you of what we talked about last week, is that within us we have this strange but explained to us clearly from Scripture competing conflict of desires. That we have both in us the Holy Spirit who has desires for us and is producing in us desires of His in a way that we should live for Him. So Paul is telling us to walk by the Spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but simultaneously we have what Paul calls the flesh or the old sinful nature, the who you were before you were born again. And the flesh, if you recall, has desires of its own, verse 16. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Your old nature, your old man has desires of its own that compete with the Spirit, verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. You want, as Paul, and we'll look at it in probably just a couple months in, in Romans 7, in Romans 7 he says, you want to do what is right. And that comes from the Spirit. You want to obey God. You want to be holy and righteous and loving and good and all of these things. But you have within you the flesh that does not want to do right and cannot do right. And so the key is, the secret, if you want to call it that, that the Bible reveals in the New Covenant is that we have to learn to say no to those sinful desires over and over and over again. And by doing that, we must kill them and put them to death so that we can follow obediently the Spirit's leading in our life and do what is right. That is what the Puritans believed every day of your life was largely about. Every day you wake up and they said you are to be mortifying the flesh. That means killing it. Those sinful desires, saying no to them. And yet on the other side of the same coin, uh, vivifying or living out the things that are right in the way the Spirit's leading you. That's the way you're supposed to be living as a Christian every day. Paul's helping us understand that. Romans 8, verses 12 through 14, I have a slide for that. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit, let me pause there for a second in verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. What that means is, not just that you'll die physically 
or that you're living according to the flesh and God's going to strike you dead with a, a lightning rod or something. What it is is that you will continue to walk in that dead sinful nature all the way through your physical death and into eternity. What the Apostle John called the second death, which is unending and eternal and irreversible. So what Paul is saying is serious. You've got to pay attention to this. If I am a person who lives according to the flesh, I will eternally die. As Paul said in Galatians 5, those, I'm warning you, verse 21, that those who do such things, and he listed the works of the flesh, right? Those sinful things, you walk according to that, I'm warning you, you're not going into the kingdom of God. I don't care what anybody has told you. You are not on your way to the kingdom if your whole life is characterized by disobedience to God and living according to your fleshly desires. But, Romans 8, verse 13 again, if by the Spirit, so connect this to Galatians 5, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body or those sinful, that sinful flesh that makes your body want to do things that you shouldn't do because we use our body to obey the desires of the flesh. That's what you do. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It connects with verse 24 of Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is what our life looks like now. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, sons of God, okay? Now, if you weren't here last week, now you're caught up with us. And if you were here last week, now you're reminded because it's been a long week, right? It's always a long week. A lot of things go on in our week. Now you're up to speed. Before I go into the new material, let me just pray and ask God's blessing on it, okay? Father, we come before you now as we're looking at your word and we're looking at the word about your spirit living for you. Your spirit is infinite in power and has the ability right now to change hearts. So we beg for your spirit to work in every single individual in this room right now, saving power and holiness and righteousness and real and lasting change. We will submit now to his leading in my message. I submit to his leading in my gifting and teaching in our listening. So be glorified, God, for your saving works among us here at Calvary. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Follow this reasoning. If everyone who is born again and is trusting in Christ 
receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God within us is producing this. Listen to this. Um, Look at verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, that is, He's producing these things in us, and fruit, like just on a tree, is the result of what's happening internally in the tree, and then it becomes visible in its fruit, you see? And you can identify the kind of tree it is by its fruit. If I went up to a palisade right now, well, right now in January, if you took me to a peach tree and said, what kind of tree it is? I, I have no idea. And then there, but you brought me there when they're blooming, they said, it's a peach tree or an apple tree or whatever. We see the fruit, we know what kind of tree it is. So follow this logic. If all Christians... When they trust in Christ and are born again, receive the Holy Spirit who dwells within them and within them is producing this fruit. And that fruit then would be, he uses fruit for a reason so that you have the imagery of fruit, then proceed from us. Would it not stand to reason then every Christian should be identifiable by the fruit they produce? by who we, what fruit we manifest in our lives, which means Christianity isn't just what you believe or having the right doctrine and the right answers and the right theology or wearing the right clothes or any of those things. That what we're reading in Galatians chapter 5 is the true nature of true Christianity. This is what Paul's arguing with the Galatian churches. He's got former Jews there that are trying to impose external laws upon Gentiles. Right, you want to follow Jesus? All right, here's the law. Obey the law. Do this, do this. Don't do that. All external. Paul's trying to show the nature of true Christianity may have external elements to it. It does but it begins internally in the heart in what the Spirit produces. So these, the fruit of the Spirit, and it's not an exhaustive list. There are other things we could add to it. But the fruit Paul chose to list here is, should be characteristic of the Christian community. So look at them with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That should be the general characteristics of a spirit-born Christian's life. Not perfectly. But growingly. And spiritual growth then, if that's how we started this whole series, spiritual growth then is the more and more 
throughout life as we follow this journey more and more displaying and blooming more and more spiritual fruit of the Spirit. Now, I I ask, you know, follow that logic. Is that logical and biblical? This is who we're to be. And I came to a point probably a couple months ago or so where I knew that God wanted me to spend some time in this chapter for myself because it's easy to forget what we're really to be focusing on in the Christian experience in life. And we're walking along and all of a sudden we realize very quickly we are in many ways carnal people. Being walking in seasons, even when we're doing what we're supposed to do and all this kind of thing, where spiritual growth just isn't how much theology you know or even how gifted you are at teaching or preaching or how many people come to your church. These aren't evidences of spiritual growth or fruit at all. But the fruit of the Spirit... Now that's evidence of spiritual growth in the spirit within you. So I apply this to myself and I teach it to you for your benefit and I hope, it, I hope the spirit can use it in your life as he did mine. As people describe you, and maybe too encountering death recently, just right, I mean just face to face as my mom, I saw the soul I didn't see her soul, but you could see the life leave her body. And I know what happens. Soul goes to be with the Lord. You kind of kind of come in that kind of confrontation with death, and you realize, then you go to a funeral and you're hearing things, people say things about her, really good things about my mom, who I know bore the fruit of the Spirit consistently for the 47 years I got to know her and grew in that. But you hear those things, and then you think. What will those closest to me describe me as? Are they seeing from me the fruit of the Spirit? Not the church, because guys, you're not with me at two in the morning at home or in the evenings or whatever. I want you to see the fruit of the Spirit, but does my family see this? So I'm just being honest, just being honest with you. And what I have found is that when you focus on the fruit of the Spirit, He haunts you with these words. It's like they're always there in the moments of your life, and you're asking, am I walking in the Spirit right now? How am I supposed to respond to this situation? This person is... I know I'm supposed to be kind right now or gentle right now or loving right now or at peace right now or whatever it is. He, he is happy. The Spirit is happy. Remember we said this a few weeks ago? The Spirit's for us. He's happy to produce these things and to show us the way to walk. This is, a, am certain, a joy of the Holy Spirit to help the children of God to walk according to the Spirit. So he will do that for you as well. 
Let me say just a couple of things here quickly, almost in passing, but I don't want you to miss them. Notice that most of this fruit could be described as being relational in nature. In other words, let's just take patience, and I'll describe it more in a minute, but patience, there's no way to demonstrate you're patient unless it's in the context of relationship. Or loving. If you were a hermit living on a mountain somewhere and never your whole life encountered other people, you couldn't claim to be loving. You may be, but we haven't seen it in action. These are all things that are relational. This is how you live with others. In other words, sometimes those who are closest to us are the best people to tell us if we're really these things. And it takes some guts to ask the people closest to you. And then it takes some humility to listen to them and see where you need to grow in the spirit. It's relational. This whole context is relational, especially in the context of the church. He starts it out, look at verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, you're called the freedom brothers, only don't, you, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh, but through love serve one another, code for the church. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's flesh, right? And on the other hand, serving one another through love, that's spirit. He says, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, listen, provoking one another, envying one another. It's all in the context of relationship. So the fruit of the Spirit born in you for other people. Chapter 6, verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit that he mentions. It's all in the context, you see, of relationship. One misconception about true Christianity is that it's just about you and your personal relationship with Jesus. That's a misconception of biblical Christianity. It's just not true. It is partly about your relationship with Jesus that you come to personal faith in him. I get that. But then it is about the relationship he embeds you in with all the rest of his body. You're baptized, Paul said, into the body of Christ. Members one of another. That's where, so in the context of our homes, in the context of our church, this is where true manifestations of either the flesh or the spirit will come out. It's all in the context of relationship. It's not just us in our private time and devotions being all holy and spiritual and getting warm, fuzzy feelings, but then leaving and going around people and being angry at them. Doesn't matter how good the feelings you had in your devotions were if you leave that room and say, wow, that was a real spiritual time and go walk in the flesh. It's just like in some of the modern churches where they, their whole goal is to work people up into an emotional frenzy through the music and here they are, tears streaming down their face and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're 
having this emotional experience, but then they, they say, well, that was a spirit, and then they leave there and live lives in sinful flesh. It's all in the context of relationship and what we do when we're around others and how we, how we respond in these contexts of relationship. Secondly, notice this. You can turn all of these fruit into actions or commands. As a matter of fact, the Bible does, I think, with all of them. In other words, you, he can say the fruit of the Spirit is love and turn that over and say, now be loving. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now be joyful, you see. And actually, I would say that at the moment you're being loving or you're being joyful or you're being at peace or you're being patient, that is the moment at which you are walking by the Spirit and you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit, keeping in step by the Spirit, these aren't supposed to be like, you know, just terms that you're like, wow, that's kind of woo out there. No, no, no. When you're being what the Spirit's producing in you, you're walking by the Spirit. These are all commands. By the Spirit, do this. Be this way. And thirdly, just generally on this, know this, since this is the Spirit, the this is the fruit the Spirit produces in every Christian. Then, friends, no one is exempt from this. In other, way, in other words, what I mean by that is this. You may read that list right now as a, a Christian who has never really given much thought to this. And you read that list, and all of a sudden, discouragement sets in. Because you're like, man, I've been such a ungentle person or I haven't been very faithful or I haven't been very kind or self-controlled in my relationships but see friends because if you're truly a believer you have the spirit in you then you don't need to stay in that discouragement Paul's admonition would be as simple as this you ready? You don't even know, need to go to counseling for this. Let the Apostle Paul counsel you now. Hey, now walk by the Spirit then. Be loving. Be kind. Be patient. Let the Spirit produce this in you. And then if you live by the Spirit, yeah, I live by the Spirit. I know I'm born again. Okay, then keep in step with Him. It's as simple as that. You can turn all of these into commands, and that's what I want us to do. So the first one, of course, is love, or Christian person, be loving, right? Love is the chief characteristic of the Christian community. It's one of the attributes that God himself is literally defined by. God is love, you see. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, that if we can be, we're gifted people, and we know all sorts of prophetic mysteries and have powers and, and we give our body up to be burned. That is, if we, we go out to the mission field and, and sacrifice our life for the gospel's sake and yet we do not have love, we are nothing and we've gained nothing. It is so important. What the early church understood about the Christian love is that it is not as much felt, though there is feeling in it, but it is not as much felt as it is 
lived out. Through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you notice how he connected there in verse 13 and 14. He connected love and service together as though they go hand in hand. If you're loving one another, you're serving one another, that's how it goes. And if you're doing that, you're fulfilling in those moments the whole law. You wouldn't even need to know any more of it. Because in love, you're serving others, therefore, you're fulfilling it. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is why at our church, and I can say this, honestly, I pray every week, multiple times, Philippians 1, I pray that our love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment's great. Theological accuracy's awesome. Without love, it's nothing. Matter of fact, theologically correct people without love are like a, like Paul says, a, a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You ever met them? Theological watchdogs, man. You disagree with them, they'll back you in a corner. But they have no love. It's obnoxious. You just want them to stop talking. (laughs) Joy. Or friends, be joyful. Or friends, rejoice. The Spirit produces true joy within the hearts of the people of God. And just like with love, we're commanded to do it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul said it from jail. Trial for his life, so... He's rejoicing there, wants you to rejoice where you are, rejoicing in the Lord and who he is, no matter the circumstances, we can turn to the Lord and strengthen our own hearts in our reminding of who he is, rejoicing in him. Peaceful, be at peace, be peaceful. I think there's two aspects to this peace that he produces. First, the inner peace that we all crave so much that is the opposite of anxiety and anxiousness and fear. Do not be anxious about anything, says Paul, Philippians chapter 4, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, God's peace to you, the peace from God, right, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's something about, listen, I'll tell you what, there's something about a peaceful Christian that is a, has a calming effect and really a drawing effect, especially in such a frantic world. That's the Spirit's producing it, and He's making it available for all of us. Not just like there's super Christians that can be at peace. That's just not me. I'm just a nervous person by nature, so you know. It's what He's providing for us. Walk by the Spirit. But I also think that Friends, when Paul means peace, he's also referring in part, at least in part, to relational peace among the people of God. He's calling for it all over. We read some of the verses this morning. To be at peace with one another. Pursuing that peace. Ephesians 4. 
I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Listen to this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's producing peaceful unity among his people. And as soon as you come in with dissension or division or strife or envy, those works of the flesh that are so evident, it's interrupting the Spirit's fruit. You're actually resisting against the Spirit. Every time we fall into the trap of those kinds of fleshly sins that bring division among his people. This was one of the things of the early church that struck uh, people that saw this early community existing together and the love they had for one another and, and the peace that was among them and how you could bring in Jew and Gentile and people from all different backgrounds and age ranges and get them all in a, a unity, a piece of unified uh, peace between themselves and with God. It's an amazing thing. The next one, patience. Love, joy, peace. Fourth one is patience, right? This word means long-suffering and has reference to slow, being slow to get angry. It was used of God over and over again reminding the people of Israel this is a God who is slow to be angry. It's an amazing thing. And this, the, the, the patience here is it has to be tested in the face of provocation. So it's not I'm patient and slow to anger until somebody makes me mad. (laughs) It's patience, and that is not just, and here's where it gets crazy. It's not just having the anger seething in you, but I'm not going to lash it out. It's that actually within you, in the face of provocation, there is a slowness to be angry. You see why these words will begin to haunt you now in your life in a good way? But isn't that important? I came to that conclusion. Isn't it important that just what we put up last week with John Newton's song, that the Spirit allow us to see our flesh. And then when God saves us, he just doesn't take it away so that we can see it and be afraid of it. Be afraid of your flesh so that we can learn to walk by the Spirit. That patience, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1 that Jesus has a perfect patience. Perfect patience to those who are to believe. And he calls upon his people to be patient. The next two go hand in hand, kindness and goodness. Very much related words. As a matter of fact, in order to define both of these words biblically, you have to use the other word to define it. That's how I know they're very close together. (laughs) Kindness or be kind to one another. We just read it earlier. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. We all, it's a hard word to define, but we all know what it means, right? We know kindness when we see it. 
It's akin to generosity because the two go hand in hand. When we are kind to people, we're showing them generosity. We have a desire to help and encourage with them and be good to them, you see. And then there's goodness, be good. It's not being good is like I used to tell my kids, now be good for crying out loud. Just be good, you know, don't do wrong things. It's not that. It's not like choosing to do right or wrong, but it's goodness in relationship to other people. It's wanting to do what benefits someone else. It's displaying goodness to other people. It's living for that goodness. What is good for them? We live in a culture that all that matters is what's good for me, you see. You have to do what's good for you. And if that hurts other people or that harms other people, so be it. But you do what's good for you. That is entirely opposite of biblical Christianity. It's a person who is kind, who looks out to be kind, who displays this goodness to others. It's what God has displayed to us in the gospel, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, you see. It's goodness and kindness If we want to know what it's like, all we got to do is look at the gospel and how God treated us. And then there's faithfulness, friends. Spirit's producing faithfulness in us. Or be faithful. Be faithful Christians. This is is one, uh, someone in whom confidence can be placed. They are reliable and committed people. You can entrust them with a ministry just knowing they're going to do it. And that it will get done. These are the people Jesus is talking about and telling us to be. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. No no reason to be swearing on this or that. You should just be known as a faithful person. I've said yes, then it's yes. I've said no, then it's no. That's the idea. You can be trusted. Counted on. Dependable. That's something the Spirit is teaching you to do. If you are reserved in any place about ministries or membership of the church or whatever and your reservation is eh, I don't know you know I'm not very committed at things like that then you probably need to seek the Lord's help in this area this is the ability to be faithful to what you've committed to and the people can rely upon you and man the church needs people like that it really does reliable people and then gentle friends be gentle He's producing in us gentleness, mild disposition. It's the opposite of roughness or a bad temper. It is not weakness. We know that because Jesus uses it of himself in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, the gentle person is very approachable, even by people who have blown it. You could go to them without fear of a harsh reaction. Hmm.
As I read earlier, Paul will use this verse, uh, this word again, gentleness, in the way the church as spiritual people is to restore anyone who's caught in any transgression, no qualifiers. You restore one in the spirit of gentleness and carefulness, considering yourself lest you too be tempted. I often believe that that is a characteristic that God wants to display through us because it's the invitation of Jesus and what he wants to put forward from his people is that sinners do not need to run from him in fear if they're feeling like they want to be forgiven and changed and helped. They run to him and he treats them gently, cares for them gently. And then the last one is self-control. Control yourself. In other words, it's the restraint of one's emotions, impulses, and desires. And in this context, I think it kind of, in all of these things, it can summarize every point. In other words, you need to be self-controlled when the desires of the flesh are there and the desires of the spirit are here and you and yourself control that, say no to the wrong desires and say yes to God. That is the exercise of self-control and self-discipline so that we are first and foremost walking the path of righteousness and we are being self-controlled as we are doing that. That's why talking about these things are so important because when we see where we're failing and we see our flesh, we need to learn then by the Spirit how to get this under control by the Spirit's help, you see. Now, Let me close us with saying this. The Holy Spirit in a number of places is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is distinct from the Son, is distinct from Christ, and yet the Spirit you receive is the Spirit of Christ, perhaps from Christ, or I think, more properly, the Spirit that produces in us the heart and mind and fruit of Christ. Because every single one of these fruit, friends, if you follow Jesus around every day of his life, all day, every day, all night, every night, for the 33 years he was here, all the way to the cross and all the way through it, you would see nothing but this fruit coming out of him in every relationship, in every reaction, perfect fruit of the Spirit. And aren't you glad, Christian, that he was perfect for you? Aren't you glad that he never gave in to the devil's temptations, that he was perfectly spiritual at every moment and point in his life for us. And then aren't you glad that he went to the cross and he bore for you and me every one of our fleshly desires that we've given into, every one of our sins, the record of debt that was held against every one of us was nailed to him on the cross, you see. That's good news. So nobody leave here discouraged. No one leave here discouraged. If you've been walking in the flesh for some time, if you are truly born again and you've settled that in your heart and you're looking to Jesus Christ, now begin walking by the Spirit today in the freedom. What does Paul say? Galatians 5. The freedom you've received in Christ. 
the freedom from the law and its penalty because Christ obeyed it for you and he went to the cross for all your law breaking, you see. Now begin now walking in the Spirit in that freedom that we have for Christ and the Spirit as we learn to do this more and more, our prayers every day. Let them see the Spirit's work in me today. Let them see the fruit of the Spirit so that God, you are glorified. And I'll tell you this, friends. If this is not This is a real possibility for you, I don't care how old you are, to keep growing in spiritual fruit. It's impossible for you on your own, but it's possible by the Spirit. So walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if you're growing in these things this year, then you know you're spiritually growing. That's how we started this whole series. New year, launching into 2023, even though we're almost in February now. But things happen. This year you can grow spiritually by pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your Spirit. He is the gift to us. Produce these things in all of us. Forgive us where we have sinned. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to pick up now, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and relationships. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.